welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Thank you for joining us today to talk about patent ductus arteriosus, diagnosis, and management. My name is Justin Watson, and I'm an early specialization PGY6 at Oregon Health and Science University. I'm here today with Dr. Irving Shen, who is the Chief of Congenital Cardiac Surgery at Dornbecker Children's Hospital and Oregon Health and Science University. Thank you, Justin, for inviting me to join you in this podcast. Dr. Shen, you are called regarding an infant born at 28 weeks gestational age, weighing 1,100 grams, who was admitted to the NICU with ARDS on mechanical ventilation. They have given her multiple doses of surfactant, but have had difficulty weaning the ventilator. She's noted to have a continuous murmur. What are you looking for in terms of presentation? What is your differential at this time? In this clinical scenario, the patient is suspicious of having a hemodynamically significant patent ductus arteriosus based on the risk factor of prematurity, respiratory failure, and physical finding of a continuous murmur. A patent ductus arteriosus often results in left-to-right shunting of blood after birth. This can result in pulmonary overcirculation and congestion. Symptoms can include tachypnea and respiratory failure. Significant left-to-right shunting can lead to a steel phenomenon from the systemic circulation and can result in in-organ malperfusion, including renal insufficiency and necrotizing enterocolitis. The heart rate is usually increased for the purpose of increasing cardiac output to compensate for the steel from the systemic circulation. In addition to physical findings of tachypnea and tachycardia, you may see an active precordium, wide pulse pressure, and an enlarged liver. The classic PDA murmur is a machinery continuous murmur best heard over the left second intercostal space. The continuous nature of the murmur is because left to right shunting of blood occurs during both systole and diastole. In infants and children, you may get a history of recurrent respiratory infection, failure to thrive, and poor weight gain. The poor weight gain is due to difficulty feeding secondary to the tachypnea and the patient expending a large amount of energy to breathe. Differential diagnosis of patent ductus arteriosus includes other cardiac defects that have significant aortal to pulmonary artery shunting, like truncus arteriosus and AP window. Based on that differential, how would you approach the workup and diagnosis for this child? In addition to a careful history and physical exam, workup should include a chest X-ray and a transthoracic echocardiogram. Chest X-ray will show an enlarged heart, especially a dilated left atrium and left ventricle, and increased pulmonary markings and congestion. If an EKG is obtained as part of the workup, it will show pattern consistent with left atrial enlargement and possibly left ventricular hypertrophy. Echocardiogram is the most useful diagnostics tool for this heart defect. It can show the presence and size of the patent ductus arteriosus, the direction of blood shunting, and the presence or absence of other cardiac defect. When would you consider a cardiac catheterization? Cardiac catheterization is rarely indicated in preterm infant with patent ductus arteriosus. It may be indicated in infant and children with patent ductus arteriosus 
if catheter-based closure is considered, or if there's suspicion of severe pulmonary hypertension based on history, physical findings, or echo findings. Cardiac catheterization can characterize the presence and severity of pulmonary hypertension and allows us to test the reactivity of the pulmonary bed with pulmonary vasodilator challenge. This patient I presented earlier is noted to have a regular heart rate and rhythm with a normal S1 and S2. She has a grade 2 out of 6 continuous murmur, heard best at the left upper sternal border radiating to mid-clavicular line. A chest x-ray shows bilateral hazy opacities consistent with respiratory distress syndrome, and the cardiac silhouette is normal. The echo shows a large patent ductus with left-to-right flow during systole and diastole with a mildly dilated left atrium. There is normal left ventricular size and hyperdynamic systolic function. No other intracardiac defects are noted. What are the medical and surgical management options you consider in this situation? It is important to remember that 90% of patent ductus arteriosus are hemodynamically insignificant and will close on its own by 8 weeks. In preterm infants with a hemodynamically significant patent ductus arteriosus, the initial medical management includes pulmonary and respiratory support, diuretic therapy, and a course of medical closure using either indomethacin or ibuprofen. These are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs that inhibit the synthesis of prostaglandin. Medical closure using indomethacin or ibuprofen is rarely successful in full-term infant or children. Medical closure is contraindicated if the patient has renal insufficiency, necrotizing enterocolitis and sepsis, or bleeding complications like an intraventricular hemorrhage. Surgical or catheter-based closure is indicated if the patient has a hemodynamically significant patent ductus arteriosus, and he or she has either failed a course of medical closure or is not a candidate for medical closure. Catheter-based approach is preferred, but may not be possible due to limitation on patient's size and weight. In the past, patients who weighed more than 5 kg could be considered for catheter-based closure. However, with improvement in percutaneous techniques and catheter-based closure devices, the patient's size and weight limitation is a moving target, and catheter-based approach is now possible even in patients who are smaller than 5 kg. Surgical closure can be done with an open approach or minimally invasive video-assisted thoracoscopic approach. It is my opinion that minimally invasive approach in severe preterm infant does not offer any additional benefit when compared to the open approach because most of these infants have other clinical problems and issues associated with their prematurity that their hospital course and duration are rarely limited by the recovery from the PDA ligation. In addition, the minimally invasive approach is often associated with longer operative time and costs, although some surgeons have comparable time and costs with either the open or minimally invasive approach. What are the operative steps for PDA ligation in a premature infant with a left-sided arch with persistent PDA despite endomethacin treatment? The most common open surgical approach for isolated patent ductus arteriosus is through a left posterolateral thoracotomy. It is important to confirm by echocardiogram that the patient has a left-sided aortic arch prior to positioning the patient in a right lateral decubitus position. 
In preterm and especially low birth weight infants, the procedure is done at the bedside in the intensive care unit because transporting these patients to the operating room can be risky with either kinking or dislodgement of their endotracheal tube, disruption of crucial intravenous drugs, or systemic hypothermia. Muscle sparing thoracotomy is utilized. The thorax is entered through either the third or fourth intercostal space. Either an extrapleural or transpleural approach is acceptable. Gentle retraction of the left lung anteriorly will provide excellent exposure and access to the patent ductus arteriosus. Care must be taken to identify the position of the phrenic nerve and the left recurrent laryngeal nerve to avoid injury to these important structures. Due to the tissue fragility of preterm infants, minimal dissection should be performed. Only what is necessary to identify the distal aortic arch, the left subclavian artery, the proximal descending aorta, and the patent ductus arteriosus so that the wrong structure is not inadvertently ligated. The surgical goal is to completely ligate the patent ductus arteriosus, but even subtotal occlusion with small residual left-to-right shunt flow is preferable to tearing the patent ductus arteriosus due to overly aggressive attempt to completely ligate the duct because injury to the patent ductus can be catastrophic. Small residual flow across a patent ductus after surgical ligation can be managed medically, and the patient will still derive great clinical benefits from the significant decrease in pulmonary runoff. In preterm infants, the patent ductus arteriosus is usually ligated with a single hemoclip rather than taking the risk of encircling the duct with a suture ligature. In larger infants and children, a more aggressive approach including multiple suture ligatures with or without division of the duct can be performed without significant added risk. Chest tube drainage is rarely needed after duct ligation. We place chest tubes only when there is evidence of injury to the lung with air leak at the end of the chest at the time of chest closure. In rare occasions when a large and fragile duct is encountered, temporary occlusion of the descending aorta with vascular clamps just proximal and distal to the duct insertion can decrease the risk of tearing the duct when the suture is being tied. Alternatively, the duct can be ligated using a short period of low-flow cardiopulmonary bypass through a median sternotomy approach. You just mentioned that some large and fragile patent ductus arteriosus should be ligated through a median sternotomy approach, utilizing low-flow cardiopulmonary bypass. Are there other circumstances where you would consider approaching an isolated patent ductus ligation through a median sternotomy? Anterior approach through a median sternotomy is necessary in some patients who are so sick that their cardiac and or respiratory function does not tolerate being in a lateral decubitus position. In some older patients where the patent ductus is large and fragile or severely calcified, a median sternotomy utilizing cardiopulmonary bypass may be the safest approach. What if a patient has necrotizing enterocolitis or renal dysfunction? Should we wait until these are resolved before operating? The existence of a patent ductus will continue to cause a steel phenomenon from the systemic circulation, resulting in N-organ ischemia. Ligating a patent ductus should improve systemic perfusion and N-organ perfusion. Therefore, patent ductus arteriosus ligation should proceed even when there is evidence of renal dysfunction or necrotizing enterocolitis. 
What are some important post-operative management considerations we should be thinking about? Patients may experience hemodynamic instability for the first one to two days after ligation of pain-inductus arteriosus due to immediate change in the loading condition of the heart. When hemodynamic instability is encountered after duct ligation, one must also consider whether the wrong structure, like the left pulmonary artery or the descending aorta, was inadvertently ligated instead of the patent ductus. Phrenic nerve palsy due to retraction injury can lead to paradoxical movement of the diaphragm with spontaneous respiration. Recurrent laryngeal nerve injury can lead to voice hoarseness. Most recurrent laryngeal nerve injury is temporary with spontaneous return of function within three to six months. Chylothorax is a rare complication after patent ductus arteriosus ligation, and most can be managed medically. Thank you very much. This concludes our podcast today on the topic of patent ductus arteriosus.